Did you know that nearly nine out of 10 home buyers say they'd use a buyer's agent when purchasing a home again? Buyer representation really matters when there's 111 to-dos. Visit Realtor.com slash Buyer Agent Toolkit and spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. I've found that scarcity and challenging times like this really breed creativity. They breed resourcefulness. And it gives companies an opportunity to innovate in ways that they they may not have been able to innovate previously. So an example of that at Picasso is we recently launched a product called Picasso Now, which is effectively like an alternative payment plan as a way to think about it. Back to that, you know, financial innovation that we talked about earlier. That's pretty game changing for our customers. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Velt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share their trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they've learned navigating this ever-changing industry. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Adams with Real Trends. Real Trends is currently accepting applications for the 2023 Real Trends and Tom Ferry agent and team rankings. If you're an agent with over 50 transaction sides or 16 million in volume, or a team with over 60 transaction sides or $24 million in volume in calendar year 2022, we want to feature you in the industry's trusted rankings program. Real Trends has partnered with the majority of the largest brands in the country to receive nominations automatically. However, we recommend that you check with your broker to understand if they will be submitting your data or if you will be required to submit your data to realtrends.com. Submissions close on April 14th, so don't miss out on the chance to be featured in this year's rankings program. Today, I'd like to welcome Austin Allison. He is the CEO and co-founder of Picasso, a real estate company that developed a co-ownership business model for single-family homes. So welcome, Austin. Thanks, Tracy. It's great to be here. Yeah, so I know most of our audience is is, um, well-informed about Picasso, but just I'll start out a little bit with telling me just a little bit about the model, because I know you've moved into some new markets too. So um, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So Picasso is a tech-enabled marketplace that enables people to co-own luxury second homes. And the way that it works is pretty simple. Uh, Just imagine if you and three or four of your your best friends or family members decided that you wanted to own a home together. Uh, You could go buy the property. You could form an LLC, which is the common ownership structure, um, and then divvy up all the responsibilities around who pays the bills and who coordinates repairs and maintenance Picasso basically enables that experience, except for we do all the work. As an owner, you just get get to come to our website and find the home of your dreams. And once you buy, you can buy as little as one-eighth or as much as one-half of the home. But Picasso handles every detail, everything from design to furnishing to bill pay and maintenance. So it really is like, you know, the easy button for for second home ownership. And uh, we started the business about three years ago now, and we're in about 40 destinations uh, across four countries. Most of our markets are are here in the U.S. And uh, we've done about a billion dollars now in, in cumulative uh, revenue and real estate sales. And um, it's been a great run. Great. And um, so obviously the market's challenging for everyone right now. So what are some of the things you're doing, um, some of the initiatives and, and growth strategy you, ha- you have to kind of expand and grow market share in this um, challenging environment? 
Yeah, so the market definitely is more challenging than it, than it was in in the last couple of years. But despite the challenges, you know, we're actually seeing um, a, a lot of reason to be optimistic right now. Like as an example, uh, the first couple months of 2023 were up for us in transaction volume by almost two x when compared to the last two months of 2022. And while you know interest rates, which has been one of the the big drivers of of the slowdown in in the real estate market recently, they're definitely much higher than what we're used to. But they're actually you know not that bad when compared to historical norms. And we're we're finally starting to see interest rates cool off a bit. And and most of the real estate experts that that I talk to are forecasting that they're going to settle into the the mid fives at some point within the next year or so. Uh, which I think is a you know pretty pretty healthy place to be. Um, one one other thing that's that's worth noting though in the context of the real estate slowdown is is kind of what we're seeing on the the inventory front. You know, generally, you know, in in kind of a, a big real estate downturn, you would expect to see inventory levels spike quite a bit. And we've actually seen seen kind of the opposite in this environment. Inventory levels continue to be super super low. And we're in most markets, not all markets, but in most markets. And we're expecting that, that that's going to continue to be the case, uh, driven by a few factors, um, one of which goes back to interest rates. A lot of the people who bought or owned a home over the course of the last few years have locked in these low rates. And you know it's really difficult to justify selling a home if you're sitting on a 2% mortgage or a 3% mortgage. So you know, high level, that's kind of what we're seeing in the, in the real estate market. In terms of of our business in particular, though, I think when you know when when things change in the macro environment, I believe it's important for businesses to change um, to to ensure that they can survive and be you know right sized for the new reality. So in our case, unfortunately, that meant that we needed to right size our expense base. We had to make some changes to our team. You know, we we had to to change um, the the amount of money that we we're spending on marketing. And, and and other areas and and those are hard decisions for companies to make very hard decisions for companies to make um, but it's necessary during a time like this when things are are, are changing just so quickly so um, I, I think our perspective is as long as you've right sized the expense base and you have adequate runway to weather the storm then you know let's stay heads down serving our customers innovating on our product offerings and um, use this as an opportunity to not just survive, but emerge stronger on the other side of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think every um, large national uh, network has has downsized in some way, um, and brokers are certainly looking at their operating costs right now, um, you know, just to make sure they come out on the on top uh, moving forward. So I wanted to ask you about your popular markets. So are you seeing some markets that really have not had a drop off at all um, that um, you're continuing pretty much volume as usual or even growing? I would say for the most part, I would say we're our, our trends have been pretty consistent with what the broader real estate market is seeing, which is, you know, sort of um, n- we're not seeing big, big reductions in price. Home price appreciation is certainly slowed, but you know most of the markets that we're in, home prices are still up year over year, albeit at a at a, a lower rate than than compared to the last couple of years. But home prices have not really corrected in a meaningful way in in most of our second home markets, and we really don't expect them to based on uh, what we're seeing. 
But what we have seen is slower transaction volume. And I think that's that's pretty consistent across the board. There's certainly some markets that are performing better than others. But I think the combination of higher interest rates, which consumers are are adjusting to this new reality still, and low inventory has translated in, translated into lower transaction volume. So um, we are starting to see a growing trend, though, of people gravitating away from whole home ownership, which is the alternative to Picasso, to co-ownership. And the reason why, for second homes, that is. And, and the reason why is because most people only use a second home five or six weeks a year. And it's really hard to you know, justify buying 100% of something that you're only going to use 10% of the time. And even for people who can afford to own a whole second home, Many people can't justify the hassle. And I think when interest rates were really low and the stock market was really you know, vibrant and growing quickly, it was easier for people to justify that waste. But in this environment, you know, the cost of ownership is much higher. Uh, stock market and, and consumer confidence is, is lower. Uh, and therefore, it makes all, all that much more sense to, to buy responsibly, which, which is what co-ownership is for the second home Use case. So I think, in a in a kind of a strange sort of way, I think that higher interest rates is actually going to benefit the co ownership model over time because it just makes our option that much more attractive when compared to owning a whole home that's going to sit empty ten months per year. Yeah, that's really interesting, and and I know that there's been some recent legislation in Utah. Um, they came the became the first state legislature to support your second home co ownership model. So explain to me what that means and how that impacts um, your company. Yeah, I mean this is super exciting. So Utah was the first state to adopt statewide legislation that essentially just you know acknowledges that co ownership is is here to stay. Uh, I think of it holistically as a victory for property rights. I mean, at, at at the most basic level, you know, we as Americans have a right to buy property. We have a right to choose who we own that property with. So if you and I wanted to own a house together, Tracy, that's, you know, that's our prerogative. If me and my best friends wanted to own a home together, that should be our choice. Same is true of Picasso. You know, if, if four or five families want to own a home together, uh, and choose Picasso as the platform to manage the experience, they should absolutely have that right. And Utah felt so strongly about that right that they created a, a rule at the state level that says that no local municipality can pass a bill contrary to that, right? Uh, so, so I think of it just as like a, a holistic win for property rights, and it just really validates that co-ownership is, is here to stay. Um, but interestingly, co-ownership is, has been around for a long time. Picasso didn't invent it. I mean, anybody who's listening you know, to, to this show, I, I'm sure can, can relate to that statement. I mean, people have been co-owning properties and LLCs for decades and decades and decades. So this is kind of a, a proven ownership structure. Um, but I think the, the popularity of co-ownership is really sort of, or, or the awareness rather of co-ownership and, and therefore the popularity has grown quite a bit over the course of the last couple of years uh, because of you know, a number of factors. One is the affordability piece that we talked about before. You know, it's be, if you look back at, let's say, a, a million-dollar home 10 years ago in one of these second home markets, Napa Valley, Lake Tahoe, Malibu, you, know, you name it, you know, these markets that have seen 2x home price appreciation over the course of the last five years or so. If you look at a, a million-dollar home that would have costed, say, $5,000 a month, five or six years ago to own, 
Now that same home, due to home price appreciation and interest rates, would cost $15,000 a month to own, the same exact home. So, you know, affordability has gone down in these markets, which makes co-ownership more attractive. But the other thing that's happening is I think people care more. Society cares more today about doing what's right for community and doing what's right for the environment, you know, than we ever have. And co-ownership is is the best thing that could happen to a second home community. Co-ownership is effectively like carpooling. What carpooling is for a congested highway, co-ownership is that for a second home community. It's much better to have um, these, these homes better utilized so that it frees up more inventory for locals who are trying to buy homes at the median price tier. And I think many communities are, are really starting to embrace that and see co-ownership as part of the solution to the housing problems that we face in, in many of these communities. So I expect that the, the Utah bill will be the first of, of you know, many um, um, bills like that at, at the state level that you'll see play out over time. And I, I guess one other point on, on this topic is oftentimes when there's a new you know, trend or new category that's, that's emerging, it is met with resistance or misunderstanding in the early days. So like one example that, that I can remember very vividly is um, electric vehicles. 10 or 15 years ago, people sort of joked about the viability of electric vehicles. We didn't think they could be affordable enough. You know, we didn't think that they would have enough range. Uh, we didn't think that they would have enough performance. You know, how in the world are you going to be able to stop on the highway and charge these things? You know, there was all this resistance, so much so that, you know, the, the dealer, you know, industry resisted, you know, pioneers like, like Tesla on this front. Today, if you look at the EV category, not only is it widely accepted, but there are states like California and many others that mandate that certain emission thresholds be satisfied, that was largely driven by the EV movement. So I think co-ownership will be like that. I think today it feels like kind of a new and, and interesting you know, concept that, that you know, raises as many questions as answers. But um, in the future, I don't know how long it'll take, five years, 10 years, but at some point in time in the future, I think that, that co-ownership will actually be you know, highly recommended and maybe even incentivized, you know, through zoning frameworks or tax structures, um, particularly in these second home communities that have a high concentration of empty second homes. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles brings together the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, C-suite leaders, and top producing agents to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's Gathering of Eagles is at the Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th to 21st. Learn more and register your spot today on the events page at realtrends.com. We can't wait to see you in Austin. And I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because you're a serial entrepreneur. You've um, founded a couple of different companies. So talk to me a little bit. I feel like the market today, you know, the real estate and the economy just in general really spurs innovation. Um, 
people want to solve problems. So give me some insight into some prop tech um, that you're seeing on the horizon um, or that you're even developing yourself. Uh, well, well, first, before I get into the specifics, I just want to double down on uh, the, the point that you alluded to in, in your question around moments like this breeding a lot of opportunity. I totally agree with that. I started my first company, Dot Loop in 2008, 2009. So basically like right in the middle of the global financial crisis, you know, at that time, um, many people would have argued, probably me included, that it was a bad time to be starting a real estate company, right? In the middle of the GFC. But it turned out to be an absolute blessing. You know, we had the same experience at Picasso. We started Picasso in early 2020. Um, literally three days after we raised our first round of capital, the entire country shut down as a result of COVID. We were afraid to get pa Amazon packages, right, in, into our home. And here we were trying to sell co-ownership in homes, right? Uh, it turned out to be an absolute blessing. So I think, you know, and we're going through a period right now that, you know, is certainly challenging for, for a lot of companies. But uh, I think like all these other downturns uh, and, and sort of turbulent times that I've experienced, you know, they, they present a lot of opportunities. So I think the companies that use this opportunity to, you know, innovate, be creative, think outside of the box, be resourceful, and just stay focused on the customer and focused on the long term. I think those companies will emerge stronger on the other side of this. But in terms of specific trends that, you know, I've been following in the in the prop tech world, I mean, to be totally honest, I'm kind of my my philosophy is like to be all in on whatever it is that you're doing. So I'm kind of all in on on co-ownership and I don't really follow a whole lot, you know, outside of the co-ownership world, but just being in the industry, um, you know, some of the things that I, I think are pretty interesting are, you know, anything around sustainability and utilization, I, I think is, is really interesting. So there's a lot of like, you know, climate tech, uh, clean energy, you know, solar, like solar innovations for houses, um, I think there's a lot of like construction related innovations from sustainable prefab to the ADU movement. I mean, like five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, I don't know what there, I don't know if there were really any great options in the way of ADUs. Today, there's, I don't know, tons of companies where you can go and in a matter of, you know, weeks or months, you can have a essentially a house, right, delivered to your front yard. Uh, that's pretty revolutionary. So I think we'll continue to see a lot in the way of, of ADUs. Speaking of ADUs, um, um, ADUs are, uh, I think, very interesting in the context of this sort of sharing economy utilization movement and quite analogous to what's happening with co-ownership, actually. Like if you, if you think about the problem that is sort of driving the, the, the crises in these various communities – it's really a function of not enough supply. I mean, the reason why home prices are appreciating so much in some of these markets is because there's not enough supply to absorb the demand. And there's really only two things that you can do to create more supply. You either make better use of existing supply or build new supply, right? And it's, it's very difficult to build enough new supply to keep up with the demand for a whole bunch of reasons which leads me to making better use of existing supply. Co-ownership makes better use of existing empty homes. ADUs make better use of existing empty yards. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting movement that we're, we're kind of still in the very early innings of, um, and I'll continue to watch that closely. 
I think there's also a lot of really cool innovation in the prop tech world around financing. So at Picasso, this is a huge part of our business. Many people don't realize this. We actually provide uh, the financing for all of our, our customers. So 70% of people who buy a Picasso get a loan and because there is no other way to go get a co-ownership loan. There, it just doesn't exist. So Picasso has effectively created that. And uh, that's a pretty cool innovation that I think will, you know, when we're looking back on it five years from now, I, I think it will, will be pretty transformative in, in terms of the, the financing landscape. And there's other versions of innovative financing. You know, rent to own is, is kind of a, a big bucket where there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, I think there's, there's a lot of complexity around the rent to own thing. And I don't know how it's all going to work, work out. But I think the, the idea of offering innovative financing products that make it you know, easier for people or, or more realistic for people to achieve their home ownership dream, I think that's a good thing. You know, for society and for consumers, provided that it's done responsibly. And I hope that we see more innovation on that front as well. And then I think beyond financial innovation, the other thing that the, the last thing that really comes to mind for me is around AI. And this is obviously not, not limited to prop tech, but I think chat GTP in particular showed a lot of us, you know, what's possible with AI. And I think that we will continue to see a ton of innovation across all industries. Um, around AI. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the the chat GPT right now is is like talked about all over the place. There's, you know, there's concerns about it. And then there are people who are just all in, like, I'm going to write all my real estate marketing using it and find efficiencies. So it'll be interesting where that goes. Um, it, you know, once it's truly rolled out and updated, because I think it's a couple years old at this point, um, as far as the information that they provide. Um, so it'll be interesting. So let's talk about, um, you know, how real estate and startup leaders are making decisions in today's economy. I think a lot of leaders are probably making decisions in different ways, but, uh, I'll, I'll share, you know, my philosophy. Uh, my philosophy is in an environment like this, um, you have to be productively paranoid and very conservative and in the way that you're managing the business, the way that you're managing your expense base, the way that you're managing your cash position, um, mainly because there's just so much uncertainty right now and so much turbulence right now, it makes it more difficult to forecast. So in an environment like that, I like to have a lot of options and a lot of runways. So that's how we're running our business um, and I, I think that's the kind of the prudent uh, way for, for any startup company to run their business in an environment like this. Second to setting the company up for success with, with adequate runway, um, the, the second thing that comes to mind for me is around leveraging uh, these moments as an opportunity. I've found that scarcity and challenging times like this really breed creativity, they breed resourcefulness, and it gives companies an opportunity to innovate in ways that they, they may not have been able to innovate previously. So an example of that at Picasso is we recently launched a product called Picasso Now, which is effectively like an alternative payment plan as a way to think about it, back to that you know fi financial innovation that we talked about earlier, um, that's pretty game-changing for our customers. I mean, it used to be that if, if you buy a Picasso, you could either pay cash 
or you can use our kind of traditional co-ownership financing, which requires 30% down. With Picasso now, you can start owning for as little as 5% down. So that's a really meaningful innovation for our customer that we likely would not have come up with had it not been for this current macro environment. So I think that's also a big opportunity for all companies at this time. Yeah, and I think brokerage owners are really looking for opportunities. Obviously, uh, um, the residential side profit margins have always been low, um, and they're continually looking for affiliated services or ways to serve the consumer better that can also expand um, their resources. Are you seeing, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the financing, that's definite. Um, You know, I'm seeing a lot of concierge services popping up, um, really solving the problem of the relationship with the consumer, the agent relationship with the consumer um, longer than a month after the transaction closed. Um, are you seeing any other innovation on that side? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, back to this this world that I live in, co-ownership, you know, a lot of what I'm seeing is through that lens. But, um, you know, the, the main things that we're seeing in the co-ownership world are, number one, um, most agents out there have a pipeline of prospects who have, you know, bigger uh, aspirations for their home purchase than their wallet will support. So like, let's say you're a family in San Francisco and you really want to own a three or $4 million home in Napa, but you have a budget for a million. Co-ownership is a solution for that. So we're seeing our agent partners really leverage Picasso as a tool to convert more of their prospects into customers. We're also seeing agents use Picasso and co-ownership as a tool to generate more listings because one of the things that Picasso offers is a what we call a sell-down feature where if you own a home that you only utilize 10 or 20% of the time, you can sell down part of that home through Picasso, take some chips off the table, lower your operating expenses while still keeping the portion of the home that that you're using. Uh, It's a really, really great option. Um, Similarly, referrals. So even if you don't live in a second home market, if you live in any location, chances are you have clients in your database who are interested in owning a second home in another location. So we're seeing a lot of agents refer customers to us. And as opposed to just earning a 25 or 30% referral rebate, we pay a full commission on referrals. So let's say you live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and you know somebody that wants to live in or own a second home in Miami. If you refer them to Picasso, we'll pay you a full 3%, uh, which is really a game changer, you know, in in kind of the referral world. Um, so those are just a few opportunities that that we're seeing in this environment. And there are many others as well. But again, I just kind of live in this this co-ownership uh you know cloud if you will and and see a lot of the opportunities through that lens yeah um you know it 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 is just one more service that agents can offer consumers i mean it goes both ways right it's it's something that that they can offer consumers so it helps the agent but it's also really helpful for the consumer to understand that they have options it's similar to like you know knowing that they could use an iBuyer or a different, a, you know, a bridge loan or, right. or some of those other options. So smart agents will really research some of these ideas um, so that they can leverage them as well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, it's a, uh, and we were, we're very intentional about 
because I'm an agent, I, I we forgot to talk about that in the intro, but you know, I've been selling real or I started selling real estate when I was 18, sold off through college. That's what led to my first company. So I really sort of think about the world through the lens of an agent because that's my background. And we knew when we started Picasso that agent partnerships and brokerage partnerships would be a very, very meaningful part of our strategy. So today, about 40%, 40% of all of our revenue comes from referrals. And a big chunk of those referrals come from real estate agents. So like this is kind of a win-win-win across the board. It's a win for the agent for the reasons we talked about. It's a win for the customer for the reasons you talked about. And it's a win for Picasso, right? Because we're, we're partnering with, with all these great professionals. So yeah, it's really exciting. That's great. Uh, my last question is just what's next? Any new initiatives, any new markets? Um, you know, what's next for Picasso? Well, I would say at the, at the core, I mean, we're kind of, you know, back to basics in some respects, just really focusing on the customer experience, you know, back to, you know, what to do in an environment like this. It's really important that, you know, we, we deliver for our customers. So we've, we've got, um, we've sold about a thousand um, Picasso's now to date. So we have a lot of happy customers. And like you mentioned with the concierge services and some of the other ideas, we think there's a lot of opportunity for us to, to sort of double down on our customer experience and do things that they really blow our customers' mind, you know, not like delivering beautiful dream homes for a fraction of the cost is like the, the, the first part of our value proposition. The second part of our value proposition is about hassle-free ownership. But the kind of the next tier of, of customer experience for us is around taking it to the next level. So we're definitely investing in, you know, a lot of those exciting opportunities. Partnership with real estate agents and brokerages is another, you know, really exciting part of the strategy. Um, it's it, We've created kind of a great tool that people are putting in their toolkit. It works really well. Our agent partners have made millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, actually. We've paid out in referral fees already. Uh, are really commissions. They're not, they're full commissions. So we've already paid out tens of millions of dollars in full commissions. We want to pay out hundreds of millions more, you know, eventually billions of commissions. Uh, that, that would be amazing. But the step for us is, is awareness. You know, so many agents and brokerages still don't know about Picasso. If they do know about it, they may not fully understand how it works. They may assume that if they're not in the second home market, that they can't use it. And that's just not true, as we talked about. If you live you know, anywhere in the world and work anywhere in the world with clients who would be interested in owning the second home, then Picasso is a tool that you should have in your toolkit. And we try to make it the easiest money you'll ever earn. So we're definitely focused on agent awareness and really doubling down on that partnership. And then I think long-term, you know, the long-term vision here is that, is that Picasso is a, a service in a market that enables millions of people to realize their dream of home ownership through this model. And in order for us to do that, you know, we need to be in more markets, you know, with more homes at more price points. And um, we're in 40 destinations today, which is, you know, great relative to the company's age, but we want to be in hundreds, eventually thousands of destinations uh, someday, and hopefully do that in partnership with a bunch of great real estate agents. Well, Austin, thank you for joining the Real Trending Podcast and uh, sharing your insights and um, sharing what's going on in the prop tech world. We appreciate that. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.